All right, welcome to Working for the Word. This is Andrew Case, and I'm here in beautiful Madrid, Spain, with Nathan Michael. And we're going to have a conversation out here in front of his apartment. So if you hear things going on, that's why. But we want to talk about some of the things you heard us talk about with Drew Moss the other day, and maybe some more. So let's start out, Nathan, if you would, just telling us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and some of your journey into Bible translation. Yeah, so I was uh, I was born and raised in central Illinois in a monolingual, monocultural <laughs> upbringing. And so it's really funny that I've since lived on three different continents and mm-hmm. learned multiple languages. Um, I really the the biggest turning point for me to go from wanting to do international missions to doing to wanting to do Bible translation was when I heard uh, someone come and speak at my school mm. who shared about their their story of bringing the New Testament to a people group of about two million who had never had even a verse of the Word of God in their language. Hmm. And his story is harrowing and, and uh, you know, he translated, he is he has one of the really cool stories of translating in secret and no converts and wow. no one knew what he was doing and then and then he, they printed him and he, and, and he left, never seeing fruit. Hmm until years later he found out from other missionaries that house churches were breaking out because they got the new testament in their mother tongue awesome and it you know whole families were turning to christ hmm. and that you know that just blew my mind i had no idea about the thousands of languages that didn't have the word of god and that was in college and so from that point my freshman year uh I, I pivoted everything towards that, mm-hmm. and I started taking linguistics courses and yeah. uh, biblical languages, and I got back into Spanish uh, to make learning another language easier later on. Where did you study um, all those things? So I did. I was a Spanish major, biblical languages minor at Union University in mm-hmm. Jackson, Tennessee, uh, and then I went, we went and did some linguistics training down in Dallas, Texas, at what used to be the Graduate Institute of Applied Linguistics, and now is, I think, Dallas International University, I think is what they call it now. Yep. yep. And then uh, since then, I've done a master's at Wheaton College in Biblical Exegesis. Cool. Wow. And then um, where did you learn Spanish first? Uh, <laughs> I, I I was a horrible Spanish student in high school. I took four years. <laughs> I took four years. I'm laughing because I I took four years in high school and uh-huh. I got all A's and I didn't learn anything. Uh-huh. And then I somehow because of my high school grades, I fooled the Spanish department at Union into thinking that I was further along than I did uh. when I became a Spanish major. <laughs> and they put me in like a, a 300 level class and I didn't understand anything in class. <laughs> I mean, it was like, <laughs> I was just this total fraud. <laughs> and, uh, and I felt that way yeah. until I spent the summer before my senior year of college in Argentina you know, I lived there for two months, mm. and my Spanish just took off. Yeah. You know, after living there, because I I actually stayed with um, 
locals. Yeah, Argentinian families. Yeah. Thanks to uh, my friends, the Millers, who didn't let me stay with them. Okay. <laughs> Good. Good. So that's where I originally learned Spanish. Then we moved. I got married. We moved to France and Cameroon. I lost all my Spanish, essentially. And then the Lord, because he has just this incredible sense of humor, uh, said you know what, you're going to need that Spanish that you forgot and you're moving to Spain. So that's, so I had to take it back up again. Yeah. So when you met your wife, was that, uh, were you guys headed in the same direction towards Bible translation or ministry or how was that? Yeah. So we, we were headed in the same direction in the sense that we both wanted to serve internationally. Mm. Uh, and when we got, when we got serious, I said, listen, you're like, you got to know, uh, I'm moving towards Bible translation. And she said, listen, you got to know that I want to live in Africa. And I said, okay. Mm. And she said, okay. And so, <laughs> so we kind of combined both of it, both of our desires. And we ended up mo- originally moving to Africa to do Bible translation. So Africa was her idea. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought I was going to live like in a... Papua New Guinea because that's where all the translation stories come out of. Okay. Um, and and so yeah, so Africa was totally. I mean, that was her her desire and mm-hmm. her leading. So how does she feel about Africa after having lived there for five years? <laughs> it's a much <laughs> it's a much more complex relationship. Now. Okay. I assume that. Um, so, the, with with all the things that you can do for full time ministry in other countries, why why did Bible translation rise to the top for you guys? I mean, uh, originally in college, it, it just struck me as like, oh man, that's a serious need that I see, yeah. and I know I can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I thought I could. And uh, it was something, I mean, I had never thought about it. I had never, it had never crossed my mind. But from the be- from the moment I heard about it, you know, and you, and you hear, you, you hear about a lot of different needs out there. So it's not like I didn't have other ideas of what I could do, but it just stuck with me so firmly. And uh, that, that I, it was just, it wasn't even a question from the beginning. I was like, that's what I'm going to do uh, yeah. from when I heard about it. And so um, it wasn't it. Some people might have a story where it took a long time to come around to it or or it was like a calling that God gave them. But they, years later, it was rekindled. Or, no, for, I mean, I heard his story hmm. and I said, OK, cool. And that's just. Maybe that's part of my personality. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people have in their mind an idea of what Bible translation involves right away when they hear that that term. And uh, there's there's a lot of tradition around that. So tell us a little bit about what was in your mind when you set out towards that goal what you thought you were going to be doing what you thought your life was going to look like and then if you would share with us a little bit of how different that turned out to be 
Yeah, I mean, so, like, I I had read a couple missionary biographies of, like, kind of the classic image of mm-hmm. someone moving to a language, learning it fluently and integrating into the people group and yeah. and and spending 40 years in a place and translating the New Testament first and then maybe if there's enough time left you go for the Old Testament and that was kind of like the idea I had and then when we got to Cameroon which was our first place that we served um, you know we heard about multi-language translation projects Mm-hmm. where you don't just do one language at a time you do four five six in parallel uh you spend a lot more time training mm-hmm. rather than uh translating uh i mean i've told people multiple times i've never translated a verse of the bible mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm actually not a translator i've never been a translator yeah um because i'm not a native speaker of that language and i never will be yeah. Uh, so I can't tell them how it should sound in their language. Um, mm-hmm. And so so that, that really shifted. Uh, the role that I fill now is a lot more training, a lot more checking or guiding or double-checking. I guess I'd say double-checking their work rather than being the first checker. Yeah. Um, because they like many language groups and many people groups have it goes through multiple checks before it gets to me now in the role that I'm filling and so um, it's shifting well what what is the valuable thing that I can pass on well it's not translating it's equipping and guiding and Mm -hmm. uh, and encouraging um are some of the biggest parts of what we do now. Okay. And when you say training, uh, are you talking about training yourself or training others? Uh, I mean, uh, you kind of have to train yourself before you can train others. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, I'm I'm rarely an expert. <laughs> like, I wouldn't call myself an expert on anything mm-hmm. um, because the work of a translation consultant or in my case a translation consultant in training I still have the, my training wheels on uh, mm-hmm. it is um, you have to know a lot of different areas and kind of bring them all to bear on the task and yeah. so you can't you can't just be a specialist in one area but you have to kind of you have to be able to integrate for example cognitive linguistics or how to view semantic domains along with how you know knowledge of ancient near eastern backgrounds and and uh how the hebrew functions um Mm -hmm. and and in discourse you know how does this verse that you're looking at fit into the entire passage um all that kind of plays into it and so part of i mean part of the thing that i'm learning is you constantly have to ask yourself, okay, what's an area that I need to improve in, in my knowledge base, so that I can then have something to offer these teams. And so mm-hmm. it's really a, a reciprocal nature. And most of the training, I will say this, most of the training we do nowadays is not 
in a formal classroom setting, yeah, it's actually done while we're checking. Yeah. Um, so I actually have taught courses, like uh, we call it translation principles course in the village, and that was a much more traditional teaching setting. Mm-hmm. But now, uh, but you know, after we did that course, well, we got into Mark, for example. Um, with the team in Cameroon. Yeah. And Mark has a lot of textual issues. I mean, a lot of, like, bringing in verses from Matthew. Right. And so, and, you know, the alternate ending to Mark. Right. and uh, Or the additional ending, I guess. And so, while we're checking, this team was confused as to why the King James had all these extra verses. And a lot of modern translations omit them. And so right then we had to take, I, I had to figure out how to explain mm-hmm. textual transmission and textual criticism in terms that people who had never heard of it could understand. Yeah. Uh, and so it was, you know, it was on the spot. Exciting. Training. Yeah. So. so you were in Cameroon for about five years on and off and you were in a village Tell us a little bit about that area, if you can, uh, that that people group, and then maybe some things that you you learned along the way about the current complex world of Bible translation, and also the the role that you feel most comfortable in uh, that you're working towards. Hold on, I think I think I. <laughs> well, I think let's, let's start. In there. Yeah, let's start. Let's start with the. <laughs> Let's start with the the time there. What what it was like? What what the people were like? Uh, some of the the learning curve of of living there, as well. Yeah, I mean, so our life is a, quite a bit different than it was. So in Cameroon, we lived in the people group, and so you're not just adapting to another uh, translation group. Mm. But you're adapting to life yeah. when you move to a village. And so that adaptation has just been, was, was a, a very steep learning curve on everything. I mean, mm-hmm. you, we don't often realize all the different aspects that are included in culture. Mm-hmm. Like, when do people eat? When do people get up? When do people visit? When do people, uh, it, it, you know, how do people talk to each other? How do you ask how do you request something from someone? And we kind of went back to being like little babies and had to figure out the rhythm of the culture and the rhythm yeah. of the society. Yeah. And that made, um, th- that was a very, very steep learning curve. All right. One of the toughest months of our lives was the first month we lived in the village. Mm. Because, and there were other reasons. I mean, I had this allergic reaction to mango that deformed my face Ooh. and uh (laughs) (laughs) you know it's comical to think about it now but at the time i was just miserable for the biggest cultural change of our lives (laughs) yeah um and so but the people group specifically in cameroon we were in the northwest they're uh they're 
I mean, I've said it a, a number of times, like their culture in some ways was closer to biblical, like first century mm-hmm. Palestine mm-hmm. in that they were agrarian, uh, you know, yep. there was, their infrastructure was almost exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, and so there were some things in the Bible that, that they understood without explaining that I didn't understand. Totally. Um, and the classic example I've shared in a number of churches is uh, when the prodigal son asks for his inheritance. Mm. It's not the prodigal son being greedy. It's the prodigal son making a statement, man, my life would be better if my, fam- if my father was dead. Yeah. And so one time I asked the team, I said, well, what, do, what would you do if your son asked you for his inheritance. And one of them was like, oh, I'd grab a stick and I'd drive him out of the house. I just thought he was having a bad day. And I asked the next guy and he says, yeah, I would never eat any food they, he ever cooked for me again because he's probably going to try and poison me. Oh, my. <laughs> and and, and uh, that's much closer to the original meaning than what I grew up thinking, that he was just a snot-nosed punk who wanted money. Yeah. Um, hmm. So... The people group there, uh, they're very communal. Uh, everything's centered around family. Everything's organized around uh, family and family hierarchy. And mm-hmm. um, but it's uh, there was no no running water, no electricity, mm. uh, no paved roads, yeah. and so it was very very remote and mm-hmm. kind of what you might typically think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No internet. Yeah, no internet. I mean, we ended up uh, having solar panels and so we had electricity and okay. we never got running water and uh we ended up never really had internet in our house either so so you're you're actually fulfilling some of the stereotypes some people have of a <laughs> the real missionary bible translator <laughs> out in the middle of the sticks and uh <laughs> yeah yeah i i always i actually thought it was funny i mean we never felt like real missionaries because it, there were days where we just didn't feel like it. We it was so hard, and we were like, "What are, you know?" We didn't feel successful, like thriving, yeah, thriving, and uh, and and. But until we came back to the capital, and someone who was based in the capital said, "Oh yeah, I've heard about you guys. You guys are the real missionaries." And I was like, <laughs> "What are you talking about? <laughs> like, that makes no sense." <laughs> um, but it's funny how we create this hierarchy in our sure. minds. Sure. Um, but yeah, now we, I, I think when we lived in Cameroon, we fulfilled the old stereotype, and now yeah, we don't. So, so how would you say God was preparing you during that time for the future? For te- what, what was he? What are some of the takeaways he was teaching you during that time? Would you say? Oh man, um, I think I think in a lot of ways we're still trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he. He really created the the. I mean, I first learned how to work uh, with the translation team there. I learned how to ask questions mm-hmm. about of the team um, mm-hmm. and of the text to where I didn't lead their answer, mm-hmm. um, which is difficult because if you give them leading questions, they know what to say and they don't actually learn what you're trying to get them to learn. Yeah. Um, 
it was our first uh, cross-cultural living experience as well we lived in France but it was our first non-western cross-cultural living experience as a as a couple and as a family and that uh, you know you learn um, ways to navigate culture navigate uh, ambiguity yeah Um, and so living in constant ambiguity right and for a guy who had never lived outside of in a a monolingual monocultural yeah. setting uh, that was a that was a lot of um, valuable skills to pick up yeah good deal so now you're fast forward fast forward you're now in Spain you're in Madrid why Madrid uh, <laughs> why Spain why why not somewhere else um, especially since you learned French and invested all this time in in uh, in well, it was a, it was an anglophone area, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so you learned French, but then you got thrown into an anglophone area of Cameroon, which is hard <laughs> and crazy. So yeah, tell us why Spain. What's strategic for you here? Um, man, that's that's a very long story. Uh, <laughs> We had to leave Cameroon for medical reasons, and that really left us kind of um, unmoored from what we thought we were going to do. And we wrestled with that for a while about, man, well, we don't feel released from Bible translation. How can we keep serving when we can't live in Cameroon anymore for medical reasons? And through a, 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 a very... Uh, a visionary man named Scott Smith who who from the moment I t- we talked to him said yeah you should move to Spain <laughs> uh, through a lot of uh, we thought we were actually originally going to live in Belgium so that we could have a direct flight to Cameroon and that didn't, oh, okay. that didn't work and then God just slowly opened the doors for us to serve here in Spain while also having the freedom to serve in Cameroon and now uh, elsewhere and so here in Spain, we actually help serve uh, Proel, which is the Spanish Bible translation organization. And we help them, we actually help them with kind of not glamorous stuff. I mean, anything that involves English, I help them with. Uh, I've helped with um, administrative work, uh, human resources work, uh, bank transfers. But um, they also let me do that on very little, and they give me lots of freedom to continue working in Cameroon, and now I'm going to be serving in uh, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they give me that freedom to continue consulting yeah. on the side. So tell us a little more about Proel and uh, how that's probably something a lot of people have never heard of and how it's strategic. Yeah, so Proel is, um, it's a completely Spanish-led, Spanish-run Bible translation organization. And they run, they actually run, to my knowledge, the only Masters of Applied Linguistics, which is core training for anyone involved in Bible translation. They run the only Masters program that's taught in Spanish in the world. Um, And that's 
that's highly strategic considering the mobilization of missionaries and Bible translators that are coming out of Latin America. Mm -hmm. uh, Latin America used to be the place where missionaries went to do Bible translation, and now many of them are sending people to do Bible translation. Um, and so that's it's highly strategic to have a master's in applied linguistics in their mother tongue of Spanish. Yeah. And so uh, just this last December, I actually got to teach part of a course on uh, second language and culture acquisition to these students. Mm -hmm. We had several from Brazil, um, Paraguay, uh, Ecuador, and, and so it's this really great group of students. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and so I got to teach and, and help prepare them for Bible translation. And just to clarify, there are actually a, a few places in Latin America where you can do training for Bible translation, but you cannot do a master's right. in that field. And so this is a, a unique opportunity here in the, the little town of Viablino. And uh, my wife and I are actually going to be teaching this month. Uh, my wife is going to be teaching morphosyntax, and I'll be teaching paratext. So... Uh, I guess the the thing now for you is you're on a track to becoming a consultant, and that's been a journey since. Is that been since you arrived onto the field that you wanted to do that, or is that something that morphed out of other things? Yeah. So I mean, you know, I said earlier that we had the I had the old mindset that I was just going to be in a language for oh, forty yeah. years. And then when I got to Cameroon, they said, well, listen, that's not how we do it anymore. And there's a role that's come about of a consultant, or maybe it's been around for longer than that, but a consultant who helps do the final check of of the translated word. Yeah. And uh, they said, so um, here's what you need to do. Here's this checklist of things that you need to learn and grow in your capabilities. And I said, Cool. And I really wanted to pursue that. And then when we had to leave Cameroon for medical reasons, I thought, well, that's done. Mm. I mean, it's 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 just this desire that I'm going to have to set to the side and, and not. I mean, I thought I would never pick it up again. Yeah. And uh, but it was still a desire of mine to to serve in the consultant translation consultant role. And uh Long story short, last year, my director here in Spain was like, hey, I want you to look at becoming a consultant again. I said, well, that's great, but I have no project I can work on. I have no one to mentor me, and I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Mm. And in very short order, um, very rapidly, uh, I got connected to an international group of consultants and consultants in training who said not only will we connect you to projects but we're going to help uh, we're going to facilitate your mentorship and yeah. uh, and help form you into a translation consultant and, and that's been huge I mean it's just been completely God's hand reopening that door that I thought was closed yeah yeah so so what are your, some of your your daily routines that uh, that you're doing right now for for working towards this goal so my daily routines like the the primary one is I've been writing back and forth uh, through a computer program called paratext 
where uh, which our we, listeners are familiar with. Oh, okay, all right, mm-hmm. great. Um, on Proverbs, so I'm I'm checking. I'm going to help check Proverbs uh, with a language in Mexico called Otomi de la Sierra, and uh, the so I've been writing. I've been reading their back translation. Mm-hmm. And writing them notes on the chapters that I've been assigned to, and receiving back their feedback, and that's how we've been doing like pre-checking for the consultant check that I'm going to go do in uh, March. I'm going to fly to Mexico City and and uh, meet face to face to do the final check on Proverbs. That's the primary thing. Um, the other thing is is actually just continuing to learn. Uh, mm-hmm. Right now, one of my weak areas is cognitive linguistics and Mm. and so i've been starting to read on cognitive linguistics uh which i'm sure was pointed out by your mentor it it was and he goes get this book and read it because he does phd in that right (laughs) exactly his his pet subject all right which is which is actually exactly what you need when you're a consultant in training and it's actually what you need in life is you need people who know certain areas that you don't know about yeah because even if you want to learn about a certain subject, um, it's actually incredibly difficult to get into it until someone says, hey, listen, you actually probably want to check out this book. Yeah. Or start here. Yeah. And that opens the door most of the time then, mm-hmm. where if you just decided you're going to learn co- cognitive linguistics, I mean, you'd probably drown yeah. in your first article that you tried to read. Um, Mm-hmm. So uh, it's that it's it's um, continuing to read on proverbs so that when we when I go to Mexico City, uh, I know what I'm talking about. Uh, so each day I try and read uh, part of a commentary or, or um, a, a background or or mm-hmm. a summary of proverbs uh, from another scholar. Cool. Um, so those are a couple of things. Yeah. So what is um what does it look like for you ahead? How many more years or months are you looking at to be able to finish and become a consultant? Um, so other people, I, I ask this because a lot of people who are looking into going into Bible translation may may want to hear how it's been for other people, how long it's taken and yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah. I don't know if you have any idea. Well, yeah. So, so my path to becoming a translation consultant is is going to be quite a bit more abbreviated than others that I've talked to uh, who have had a longer road. There, the plan right now, if I continue it going the way I am, I'll be a translation consultant by like mid twenty twenty one. I think. Great. So I've got like another year and a half left. Uh, a little under a year and a half. Um, but I mean that really started in Cameroon right. with a lot of skills that I picked up along the way um, mm-hmm. that could have been done more efficiently sure. quote unquote but uh, yeah and my masters that I got from Wheaton continued to advance those goals of becoming sure. a translation consultant and I would probably say that most things in international ministry is not are, are not efficient <laughs> it's, 
efficiency is, is rarely achieved, um, at least to our American standards of, of efficiency. I mean, that's absolutely true. And you asked earlier, like, what were some of the things that you learned in Cameroon that God's using now? That's actually one of them. Yeah. Is like, Be you, have, with that. you have these plans of like, this is going to happen at this time, and I'm going to do this next, and, and we're going to get through the book of Luke in such and such amount of time. And it n- never happens like that. And I, I can almost stick on that word never. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I can't think of a single time where we made an, an initial plan and it happened just like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, flexibility is, is the key to international yeah. service. Yeah. Well, it's getting cold out here, so we're probably going to wrap this up, but I wanted to see if you have any other things that uh, burning, you know, maybe burning ideas <laughs> that you want to share with the world, with uh, people who partner with Bible translators, or, or uh, any other words of caution or wisdom to those who are s- starting out, think, I, I want to get into Bible translation consulting someday. Yeah, man, that's, that's a, a wide open yeah. path you oh, gave yeah. me there. Um, so first, a word to those who support Bible translation. Uh, first, a huge thank you. you know, like even if you don't support me, like yeah. uh, you know, thank you, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll thank you on behalf of whomever you do support. Um, and so that's one thing. Also, um, just whenever you do interact with a Bible translator, translator. Uh, be a listening ear. I mean, a lot of times um, what they've gone through and their experiences or how they're approaching things uh, have, have not been straightforward. They've not been efficient. And, and so um, yep. they, they have experiences that they did not see coming. Yeah. Uh, and so um, I don't know why that's a important maybe that I share that with you but uh, mm-hmm. just remember that in conversations with Bible translators mm. um, you asked me what was the last thing you said oh anyone aspiring to be a Bible translator or, yeah, or, or, or a translation consultant mm-hmm. yeah. um, don't be afraid of uh, not being an expert Like mm. I think I mean, I've had a lot of biblical languages, and my biblical languages, I will be the first to admit, still need a, a lot of work. I mean, I, I have to put in time to them, um, and that's okay. You know, like, if you don't have a PhD in semantic linguistics, that's okay. Like, don't let that convince you you can't be an Old Testament translation consultant. Yeah. Um, so don't don't let that fear of deficiency stop you. And mm-hmm. then uh, secondly, man, if I if I could, there are a lot of different skills that I would recommend. But one of them is just nurturing the desire to learn. Yeah, uh, broadly, like yeah. Uh, you know, it's it, it's it's one of the most essential uh, characteristics of being a translation consultant because. You might start consulting on a book, and you'll say, "Whoa, my gosh! I didn't, I haven't read about the difficulty in translating a proverb 
or or yeah. or uh, traditional ways of forming proverbs or imagery or or whatever. And so you just have to go and find the answer. Yeah. And that's uh, and that's okay. Like it's not a bad thing. It's actually a, a great way to keep learning and to realize that you're you're fallible. Hmm. Um, Absolutely. So. I don't know if that's that answers good. your question. No, that's a, that's a good word. Thank you so much. So we're going to wrap it up right there, but I want to say again a big thank you to Nathan Michael for making the time to be with us. It's a blessing to see how his family has been serving the Lord in this area. We wish him all the best and blessings on his future ministry. Here at Working for the Word, we believe that the Bible is a unified God-breathed, God-centered, hope-giving book, sweeter than honey and pointing to Jesus. This podcast exists ultimately to help you treasure the Bible, go deeper into it, and become like the man of Psalm 1. Thank you for listening.